Okay, guys. So, fair warning. This episode is Let It Shine by Alyssa Cole, and it will feature some racial injustice and violence, gender violence, reproductive violence, including loss of baby. Go in with a fair warning. Now, on to the episode. Welcome back to Deconstructing Damsels. I am going to put this episode out a little bit early. I try to get on the 30th. Today is the 29th because it's 2020 and we have that day and we don't have any 30 days ever in the month. So surprise. I wanted to end February on a really positive note because I know there's been a lot of stuff going on in romance the fandom and romance landia and with a whole bunch of other things not just rwa there's been a lot of odd things and it's been kind of difficult i think sometimes and i want to make sure that there's a little bit of positivity going into march you know comes in like a lion goes out like a lamb type thing I appreciate that everyone has been joining on the Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash damselspodcast. And that includes What's Her Name Podcast and D. E. Elms. So if anybody wants to check out what they have, we have linked them below for being Patreons. And if you guys want to see what's actually in the Patreon, we've got a couple of bonus episodes, we've got notes, and I have some book reviews coming up probably in the next week, at least like three. So if you guys want to check it out, you know where it's at, patreon.com slash podcast. So to start with the roar, I wanted to do Alyssa Cole's Let It Shine. I thought it was a fantastic book when I read it. It was a novella. It's like 130. 34 pages I think Amazon just said and it's 99 cents I got it you know while it was on sale and I thought why not because Alyssa Cole is a really talented writer and I'm not saying that because I've already covered her once I'm going to cover her again but also because every single character that she writes the female characters are their own they stand on their own they work on their own both within the story and in the larger context and I think as someone that does a podcast all about women that's something really important and in this one you have Saffronia Willis I think that's how you say her name she goes by Sophie uh, after her mother dies so I'm just going to call her Sophie because I can actually say that I loved her so much like I thought no one would ever top Portia but I think that Sophie is actually on the same point level as Portia because they're both very strong in their own ways and they learn to connect. Oh, and please excuse any noises that sound like a bed. Um, Sven and I are in like a very small space and we're up here. He's listening to one of his favorite reviewers, D. Amanda Hagen, and watching her video and I am recording this so I just wanted to kind of give you that heads up. Okay, so back to Sophie. I love the fact that Sophie is transformative that she's not necessarily the person you think in the beginning and the person you think in the end but you can see A to B as a character arc and as we all know that's completely my jam and there's something set in the 1960s that really works so for the record 
The book is set during the Civil Rights Movement and the Freedom Riders in 1961 in Virginia, and she travels and, and kind of joins the the line, and she kind of gives up some stuff for it. But the point being, Sophie is someone that transforms from the person that society wants her to be to the person that society doesn't necessarily like, but she likes, and that's what matters the most to her. And oh, along the way, you get such a great thing. Uh, beware of spoilers, because I'm actually going to be pretty overt with them this time versus some of the other reviews because the storyline is just so jam-packed in such a short time I think it's important. So what do I mean by transforms? There's a point where she stops being who her father, who society, who everyone says is good. You know the nice proper church-going girl that doesn't do anything wrong. You know she's very quiet, subservient. Even though it it heats up inside her and it it just oh it burns her alive in so many ways and I think that that's good and it it starts out in a strong moment for her in this moment uh, she's at church and the church gossip is talking about someone that was beaten and they were hurt and <sighs> this is the hard part and so at the beginning of the episode, I gave you guys a content warning, and this is going to be the content warning about the child death and also the violence towards women. I want to give you a heads up. It's not pretty. It's not nice. But in it, you can see that her heart is just absolutely, I don't even know how to say traumatized, but I mean, that's what it is. And like the line becomes... Well, here's the scene. She lost the baby, you know, after they threw her off that bus, Melba Adams said in a hushed tone. Sophie almost dropped the next spoonful of food she was distributing. Her usually steady hand was shaking like Mr. Duffy's when he needed a nip but couldn't afford it. Melba shook her head sadly. It's sad, but I can't help but think it's for the best. The Lord works in mysterious ways, and she was awful young to be having a baby. And Sophie's response to that, that clear victim-blaming, that fear clear well you know it kind of can happen and those thoughts and prayers comments that seem to make us all go a little bit wonky and it continues usually Sophie would have listened to the women gossip and ignored the urge to give her own opinion but the new anger in her was a grease fire that wouldn't be doused it bubbled it popped pushing angry words out of her mouth like they were too hot to be contained in the cauldron of her chest if she's fast well, what does that make the man twice her age who put the baby in her, a speed demon? Oh, I fucking love that line, guys. That is such a good line. And that that line, I mean, it's it's multiple like sentences, but it's a line together that never breaks. And it's so nice to hear it when people talk about how the men are never held to the same accountability that the women are over and over and over again. To continue... She almost laughed when all the women's heads had whipped in her direction. Sophriona Wallace, hush now, Melba said, her eyes wide. Sophie glanced across the room where the man in question was showering his attentions on yet another girl young enough to be his daughter. They were only worried he would hear, she realized, not that he had offered Patty help to help with her singing and gotten her with a child instead. Melba looked at Sophie again. What's gotten into you? Not Jim Danielson, and thank goodness for that. Otherwise, I'd be the one you all were showing such 
compassion Christian compassion for somewhere inside of her the old Sophie was already cowering and begging forgiveness that Sophie was worrying about what her father would say when not if word of her rudeness got to him but the grease fire in her chest was still going fueled by the thought of Patty and the little baby who would never get to grow up by the pictures in the papers of white folks beating people who looked just like her as the police looked on with smiles Sophie felt like she would combust from all the unfairness of it all god that's so good no, let's rephrase that. It's not good in that it happens to her, but it's good in the mental and the world building, and and you see so much of what Sophie goes through as a woman who goes to church, who's young, who's been raised in all of this, who's one generation away from you know World War Two, which comes up with Love and Just Ivan, which I'll get to in a little bit. But you can see like the seething rage, and she's. It's not just about the the racism, it's a misogynoir as well. And oh, it's so good and important. And I think that sometimes a lot of books miss this. But honestly, Alyssa Cole very rarely misses a beat. And I'm surprised by that because again, I'm pretty critical. Maybe not always loudly on here, but if you guys are on my Patreon, you guys know I have notes and I usually give them fairly long. But what I loved is the fact that, like, Cole is highlighting these reproductive rights and the racism and the intersexuality of it. And as someone who focused on intersection, intersection, <laughs> you know what? As someone who studied a whole bunch of that stuff, I can't say it today, but I know how to say it, I promise. But anyway, as someone who studied that, I get it. Like, a lot of things are forgotten or erased and the black women in this country have got so much erasure going on every day and it's not something I deal with because I'm white I mean I'm fucking Casper white like you couldn't get more white if you tried but I learned so much by reading and listening and the emotional labor that a lot of the women are putting into their work you know black women give us so many options and so many opportunities to learn Twitter alone is just so mind-blowing to me about what we can absorb along the way. And I feel like that that world that was written, it kind of fits into Sophie's world as well. And I think that's really important to know because it's it's not just about doing the right thing sometimes. Sometimes it's about acknowledging what the right thing is. And the acknowledgments in this book are just fantastic. I love them. I think they're smart. They're strong. They're, you can follow that line very easily. And she doesn't really say anything against Patty having sex. She has things against to say against Jim Danielson, who was preying on young girls. And yet it was okay because men are men and it's allowed, but it's not really... And I think it's just such a smart thing to highlight because later on in the book, she goes, because she's training for the sit-ins because she eventually joins the sit-in movement. And one thing that I really noticed is when, when Sophie is talking, Sophie gets a strong shell of niceness that isn't brittle. It's not like a sugar shell it's it's almost like a granite shell that she uses it to her advantage because society forced her to be this way and oh I love that 
and there's one scene where she's talking about about what happened when she was visiting Patty in the hospital and Sophie is discussing it when they're training her how to not respond to the aggression and the anger and the aggravation and the physicality of being a black woman wanting freedom to be given the same civil rights that other people in the country have. And she goes, I went and visited her today. She wasn't trying to be an activist. She just didn't want to vomit and she couldn't hardly move once she sat down. A police officer shoved her off the bus, beat her, and then said she was resisting. They didn't take her to the hospital when she said she couldn't feel her baby kicking anymore. There was a silence as Sophie's hard gaze left Ivan's face and she looked at the other volunteers. Now all I can think about is how a black baby can be killed just to ensure that a white person gets a seat. And it makes me angry. It makes me wish I had the power to set this world ablaze. But luckily for some people, I don't. So nothing anyone screams at me is worse than the knowledge that Patty's baby was alive and now it's dead. A beating isn't won't make me forget that every day of my life I have to defer to someone else just because I have more melanin. I can go to a sit-in and take whatever these people dish out, but don't make the mistake of thinking I'll do it because I'm nice. There's so much power. When Sophie speaks, the power is just like palpable. I, I can see her sitting there saying it. And it's, what, 60 years later or something like that? But I can feel it. And I can see it and I can understand the the pain and the anger and the frustration and the heartbreak that Sophie is feeling during this time. You know, there just been some comments going around on um, Twitter about a podcast that said that they wanted to diversify reading. And so they picked this book and it, it wasn't one that they necessarily liked, but blah, blah, blah. Anyway. I'm not going to like name call out if you want to ask you can catch me on Twitter but I don't want to to do that because I don't want to put the author in that kind of a um, unsafe space. It's not my job and it wasn't the job of them to say it on air or to note it either. But the point being if you don't know what's going on in your world if you don't know what's going on in like society around you not just your little chunk of the world but society at large you're missing a lot and diversity is not meant to be a oh give me a cookie fuck the cookie the cookie is not important in this instance the cookie is actually never important unless it's like given to you by somebody because they love you then that's a whole nother story and I am down with all the cookies but not in this case being an ally is something more than just saying, okay, that's not okay. It's calling it out, right? Like, it's my job to say that wasn't okay. Because I'm reading Cole, not because she is a black author, but because she's an author that writes with authenticity, with heart, with care to her craft, and she's someone that believes in what she's writing. If you want to diversify your reading, you diversify it by finding people that appeal to you outside of necessarily your experience, but have the same same things that you like out of a white author than out of a you know person of color author. That's why I found ones that I absolutely love and I find more and more because I listen to what other people are saying and I find connection points. And I think that sometimes as white readers, and I notice that a lot of the podcasts seem to be white women, we 
sometimes fail on that. And I don't think that's okay. And I want to point that out because the word nice has been weaponized, right? Like even in this Sophie, being a nice girl is a weapon against someone else. And oh, that just, okay. So just point that out. And Sophie is not nice. She's got a shell, but she's not nice because niceness is not, it's not necessarily a good thing, honestly. Like, you can be kind, you can be gentle, you can be lots of things, but to say nice with a capital N, it means something and it's nothing good. So I love watching her transform from the meek person she was in the beginning to the person she becomes. And when you talk about her relationship with her father, Okay, so to back up a little about her mom, her mom was working for someone, um, Mrs. Friedman, I think. Um, it's Ivan's mom, anyway. But so she's working with this lady and she goes out to defend Ivan and she drops dead of a heart attack. And it leaves this huge hole in Sophie's life because Sophie is an only child. I mean, she's got the church, she's got all that, but she doesn't have that woman figure so close by. And her father largely shuts down and pushes her to be someone else you know and but Delia her mother wanted her to be strong and careful and know who she was and all that kind of need you know and so when her father becomes more conservative more icy more taken out of the community in a way that that even though he's sitting in it it doesn't work that kind of stuff it hurts her like it it pains her because she knows she's going to have to pay for being upfront, for being honest, for being real, for being who she is at the time when that's not really allowed by society, both her community and the larger society, both even in America and beyond. Because let's face it, it's, it's not like black men and women are given a lot of opportunities and I don't mean given like can do, but given as in the option of making that opportunity even. And I think that Cole does a really good job of highlighting that with this relationship because she goes, Sophie thinks that loneliness was the one man who was supposed to protect and love you no matter what was looking at you as if you were a mistake that needed fixing. How many of us have felt like that? No matter your race, your gender identity, because it's a spectrum no matter you know your birth order no matter where you're culturally from your race it we all disappoint people and it kills us because we don't want to we don't want to hurt the ones we love the most and it takes a lot to unpack that and you watch Sophie unpack that and it is fucking fantastic watching that happen it's one of those things that just makes you feel and Sophie's just done bending she's done waiting she's going to be strong as she wants and god that is beautiful to watch and you you just see how she's given that that option that ability to say something more and in the case of her and Ivan I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes but generally in the reproductive side and the the woman's side there's just so much there and Ivan is someone that 
see Sophie as she was at 12 because you know his mother was Delia's boss that was his that was her employer and you know she died helping him and that made a huge thing in his life and it's been you know roughly a decade since they've seen each other and there's still memories that Ivan has of them being who they are and what they were and how they can still be that a little bit just changed because there's a scene when they're 12 ish probably around 10 to 12 and he saw her the way she was without the frippery without the niceness without the required almost stepfordness of it all she goes Black girls can't be princesses, Ivan. They'd been playing in the woods behind his parents' house, despite her mother's warning. He looked over at her, his teeth too big and eyes too wide. Well, Jews can't be Nazi hunters, but I'm the best there is. He'd run ahead a few steps, spraying down a line of imaginary SS men with his imaginary gun, and then looked back at her. Besides, every beautiful girl can be a princess. I read it in a book. So, Ivan obviously is Jewish, but in this statement for Sophie... You can see the woman he sees, the the warrior, and I don't mean like a um, stereotype warrior, but I mean like a warrior, someone who defends and believes and who she's meant to be in that moment. And I think that Cole does a good job of reminding us later in the book with this scene, and there's just something very solid. He doesn't think that she's lesser than the way a lot of people does and he also doesn't fetishize her he's had a crush on her all this time but he does not fetishize her and I think that's super important to admit as well and of course like I mentioned his mother hired Delia because she needed someone to work for them but there was a grudgingly respect about it too his mother when Delia died um his mother felt sadness like it's it's not like you know someone that your help almost becomes part of the family though often invisible and Delia had done a very good job of helping even learning how to make latkes and if you've never had a latka go they're fucking delicious too um I've I grew up around a Jewish community in Atlanta uh in Druid Hills uh Toko Hills that area and so there were some things that were kind of common to find in the in food choices and those were amazing and Delia made some that was almost exactly like his mother's and so there's that bond there of first you lose your your second mother figure because obviously she was watching out for Ivan and her daughter and they were communicating and they were being together and stuff like that but also the fact that his mother had respect for her because after Delia died, uh, his mother goes, Delia, it's not as if I'll find anyone else who can make schlishkas, sorry, as well as I can, she said with a shrug. It might have seemed cold to an onlooker, but coming from his mother, that had been the highest compliment. It means that she was very understanding and sympathetic to the culture that Ivan's from as well, and that, that says a lot. There's also another line in there, and I, I can't say it, um... And I won't because I will completely mess it up. And it's a term for respect of the dead. And I, I don't want to do that. And so I'm not taking that opportunity because of that. It's it's 
it's a fictional character, but in their world, it's a lot of respect, and I don't want to mess with that. And his family understood what was going on. Like, on some level, they understood, but it's hard for them to relate to black people because they have their own trauma, and honestly, they shouldn't have to relate. I mean, they should, but they shouldn't be forced to within this situation just because they're two people that come from oppressive means by white people right and so there's this moment though where he goes about the civil rights he was like was this what had driven his parents from budapest years before he was born this undiluted disgust that could drive you to harm your fellow man simply for existing in case anyone didn't catch it he's talking about the holocaust ivan is absolutely referring to the holocaust and the lead up to it because the holocaust didn't happen overnight the holocaust took a long time and I thought it was just really important to highlight that it's been a generation, but there's still a lot of trauma from that, right? Like, at this point, there's still memories. There's still missing family members. There's still people that were murdered in cold blood who had done nothing wrong except by existing. And I think that that's a very on point to modern day moments as well right like how many of us hear that every day and we see that every day and we're aware of programs like the ones in india right now for the towards muslims you know the the way we push people that are seeking asylum and refuge in america back to mexico even though from say honduras you know there there's a lot of populism on the rise and it's not great it really didn't end well during the last time this was really a big thing it didn't end well in in between either but it's kind of the rise of nationalism is growing across many different countries right now and some of them have more power than they ought to like my country so it says a lot and all of that still with all the stuff that Ivan's family has gone through he still has this hope for the future like he still sees this even as a um boxer as someone who learned to fight because he couldn't fight when Delia came to save him he learned his place as it was it was smarter to be stronger Mm. and let me rephrase that again for hold on when I say learn his place I mean learn it for himself not for society it's him learning who he is but he's also big into the nonviolence, and I think that that's a really important element to add to this as well because you can one does not necessarily drive the other he can be violent in the ring where there's rules where there's regulations where there are lines you can't cross and he can be nonviolent otherwise as well because it doesn't necessarily mean that he wants it in his daily life as a human in society right as a Jewish man in society and he tells her when they're talking about the sit-ins and the non-violence protests, because that's where they meet after all this time. They meet at one of the meetings when she finally just has enough and goes to the meeting and they see each other again. And he says, consider me Judas then. I've heard all the stories of how my people knew Crystal Knock and the purges and something even worse was coming, but everyone hoped it would be avoided somehow. Hope alone can't change things in this country. You're trying to do that and I intend to help. So there's a knowledge that hope has to come with action. You can't have one without the other. And the current administration is a dumpster fire. 
there's no question of that. The American administration is fucked from top to bottom, right? But it didn't start with the administration, sadly. This has been going on for the entire history of the country. And then before, because they got the ideas before they came, the founding fathers got the ideas before they came here. Because we don't have founding mothers because, I guess, fuck women. Anyway, so, but the point is, is he can see what's going on. He recognizes it. He He's understood what's been said in temple and he understands what's been going on and I think that's so important because again like I said I grew up in Toco Hills in Druid Hills in that area and you can't help but kind of take in some some of the conversations that you hear and stuff along the way and I remember going to uh I think it was a let me look it up hold on okay so I looked it up because I'm doing this one by myself, so I couldn't have someone else do it for me. And it's the uh, Congregation Beth Jacob in Atlanta. It's an Orthodox Jewish community, but it's very inclusive on certain days. And, like, you could go in and you could see what was going on. And there was all kinds of important elements to that. And I mention it because I think that a lot of times we forget that social constructs are very bad in the way of like pop culture because we kind of America's having a anti-semitism issue again I mean it never really stopped but it's kind of ratcheted up since 9-11 I believe Um, and especially in the past I guess three or four years especially since Trump started running it's in the news a little bit more I don't know about I don't know what's going on in the Jewish community and and their congregations but I know what I see on the news and it's hurting and it's pain and it's misery and it's all this it's not even just bigotry it's just it's pain and oh it that pain it makes if you have any bit of empathy you should be sad and you should be angry about it and you should feel empathy like just empathize it's I mean you can have sympathy obviously but have empathy understand what's going on like reach out to those that you know and you can trust and you love and ask them if they're okay every once in a while I think that's super important right about now because the world is on fire and it's okay to check in with people and with that we're going to take a quick break because sometimes it's better to have digestive moments and we're going to have a podcast promo coming up and after that we'll talk about the love story and the conclusion and why all this kind of matters so stay tuned are you looking for a history podcast to grab some quotes for a last minute paper or maybe your presentation on Jane Eyre needs a punch-up. Then do not listen to us. Do not. Like, we're begging of you. <laughs> I'm Ashley. And I'm Kelsey. And we host Make It Modern, a podcast where we talk about history, literature, and all things made before the year 2010 in a way that would probably be frowned upon by any teacher. We basically delve into the past and stumble into the present. We discuss things like what type of rosé is appropriate for a medieval execution. 
and how we've all been bingleed one time or another. So if you love hearing about people, places, and things with so many issues they could be a Julia Michaels song, join us every Thursday on Spotify and iTunes. And be sure to follow us on Facebook at Make It Modern and also on Twitter and Instagram at capital M-I-M underscore podcast. Okay, so the love story between Sophie and Ivan is fantastic. Like, I keep using that word in this episode, but it is. It's a short story. Uh, I read some reviews that said it was a little bit rushed. I disagree. I think it was at the right angle at the right time for what they need. And in the first time they have sex is in a boxing ring. A boxing ring. Ha! I'm not even a sports person. Like, I usually don't read sports romance, but... It's hot because you can feel how she learns to kind of free herself, how she becomes strong on her own and who she is and and all that matters, I think. And when she's starting to get in that place, she goes, oh, she breathed quietly. She felt more than just that little sound, but her training was kicking in. Even when she should be wild and free, she even had to sin like a lady. And you can feel how she's angry at herself almost or angry at her reaction at her need to be quiet and Ivan reads that very quickly and he pushes her for more and they get more done and there's a stronger bond with that and then near the end she goes Ivan her voice was louder than she'd spoken in years and when he sucked at her neck and curled a finger inside her she broke and let out a cry that even the lead and the choir couldn't have matched pleasure pulsed and pulsed through her body divine and unrepentant her voice echoed around the gym as she sagged back against the post and simply let her feel for once okay first let's do a little follow-up on the choir part so she hasn't been part of the choir even though she's got an amazing singing voice because that's not what her dad wanted and he wanted more of a quiet mouse and so thus she became a quiet mouse she followed his lead because that's what you do as a child but then you see and you can feel that reverberation right like you feel and you see it and you can mentally see the scene because she's suddenly letting herself feel beyond the anger beyond the rage she's letting her self feel that sexual part that she's never run away from she's like never run away from being sensual and she's never been like a prim miss the way that her father would probably want her to be but she's very more herself the the sofriona <laughs> that her mother named her to be the the passionate person that she was meant to be all along before her mother's death it, there's something very pleasant in that and the way that she reacts to him is you know when she first sees him like the very first time she sees him she said his smile made her think of sucking honey straight from the comb of the sweetness spreading on your tongue and how it can make you smile like that like you just tasted something real real good and wanted more the description alone you can actually you can see the honeycomb you can see the bite into it if you've ever had honey fresh or you've watch that little commercial like the Cheerios commercial where the little things drizzles down same idea and she also said she knew it was wrong but she felt another type of warmth now one that had nothing to do with anger and settled somewhere in the vicinity of an area proper women never discussed so she's not afraid of her sexuality of her sensuality and Ivan believes in it so 
during their courtship, there's some conflict with his boxing schedule and her wanting to go to um, the to ride south to the Alabama, Mississippi, that area. And eventually they meet up because that's kind of the point. But also, they're separated for three weeks uh, in jail. And when they are released, they go get a motel and obviously they have like penis and vagina sex and stuff but to me even that didn't match nearly what what the boxing ring did because I think the boxing ring offered her a taste of freedom that she hadn't had in a different way and it was amazing in that moment to read it's a very short scene because again it's only 134 pages and by the time that I finished this you probably could have read it so you should definitely go read it anyway but there's something believable in how it's written and I was reading again the reviews because I wanted to have a little bit more than my own opinion on this because I don't think it's great for y'all to only hear mine which is why I'm trying to get more guests and stuff like that and I was reading the reviews and a lot of them complained that the the relationship felt rushed but to me it didn't and then a lot of people were complaining about the epilogue because in the epilogue so they have their happily ever after um after you know some settling some stuff and and dealing with some life and there's an epilogue and the epilogue offers a little bit more into their life it offers you know when they get their own first place and the 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 way they have to deal with they can't be married because this is before loving versus virginia so they literally cannot get married because it's not legal in virginia for an interracial marriage to happen and she's so broken up and she's so unhappy and she's so angry about that but she's also looking forward to the future because at some point there's got to be a time right and there is eventually they get married because the law is revoked and it's not considered you know allowable and so love and marriage and all that kind of reality can set in and at some point you know it's 13 years later somewhere around there they have family issues and stuff like that but here's the thing, like when, I, when we talk about family, there's a lot of prejudice in their own family, right? Like, there's a lot of unsaid but obvious comments about, about her and about him and their relationship by both their fathers. And it creates this very, not even bad world, it creates... And unfortunately, too real world when too, when your family is not behind your relationship. And it, it is resolved um, during Hanukkah when they get their first place. But there's something very realistic about that. And I, I think that the ending with her, well, the ending in that particular era of their relationship, there's something very solid and foundational about their relationship on that. But in the epilogue, it's, you know, been that 13 years and they haven't always necessarily matched up because, I mean, let's face it, civil rights kind of takes a front seat to a relationship when you're that deep in it, right? And so there's something very important and foundational, again, like I said, in creating this world where they don't know what's going on and then they communicate and there's more conversations and, you know, she's big on helping women get across um, I think they're in Chicago getting going to where they can to allow women to have reproductive choices and rights because 
there's still Roe versus Wade and all that going on in the 70s. So there's a very large chunk of, of time frame where a lot of civil rights were going on. And I think it's, it's a lot to pack in, but I think Cole does a good job. But there's a misunderstanding and, you know, there's uh, talk of miscarriage and there's talk of pain and of, of not understanding what was going on. And then there's talk of what happens when more issues arise. I'm going to say that, you know, he gets a gift and you can probably guess how that goes. But anyway, there's something solid about talking about how a long-term relationship can also have ups and downs and you can disconnect. And I feel like in some ways this was almost a tiny, like maybe five page second chance moment with these characters because it allowed them to communicate when they hadn't been communicating all the way because sometimes words are hard and pain is difficult. Um, I can only speak about the fact that like, I don't know if I was pregnant earlier this year. Um, but I think I was because looking at all the signs, it feels like I probably had a chemical miscarriage, which just devastated me because I, I want a baby. Um, and my partner and I had issues for a little bit on that. Um, not issues as in like conflict, but issues in, in how do you talk about it without hurting the other person? How do you grieve that moment? Um, and so there, there is a solid understanding for me right now that I probably haven't had in the past. But it felt real because in those moments you don't know how to talk you don't know how to communicate you don't know what it is and it's it's outside of everything else it's feeling like a failure on both sides of Sophie and Ivan's side and it just it was a bit much and he thought she wasn't he thought that she thought he wasn't supportive enough and she was like no I I was completely supported by you please don't think that it's just it was me I needed that I felt like a failure because I couldn't have a child and pushing her in her what mid 30s I can understand that too because I'm in my late 30s so it's a little bit close to home sometimes but I feel like it was an important element to add because miscarriage is a thing that we all have and do and I think that well not all but like a lot of women have and do um, those that, that want children and those who do not um, can sometimes get them as well. And it's not about shame. It's sometimes about giving yourself the chance to grieve and to say, okay, this sucked. And it does. But what I like about Let It Shine is A, the song. So anyone in the South probably knows the song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine. Um, I sang it a lot when I was little in church. I know a lot of people around me used to sing it as well because we knew it. And of course, it's been in like some media like Corinna Corinna had in it. Um, I know other ones have, but that one was the first one I thought of because I just I heard it in my head the minute I, I let myself read the lyrics for two and a half seconds. But the point is, is let it shine isn't just about letting your own own life shine. It's like letting hope shine. And that's the whole point of this book. The whole point of this whole novella is hope. Hope is what you have. Hope is what you give. Hope is what you need. And there's just this solid foundation of that. And again, I I haven't read a lot of romance from the 1960s set and, you know, written in modern era. I haven't done any of that. But I know that Cole does a ton of research. Like Alyssa is 
phenomenal about that. And it makes me happy because again, I learn. Um, I grew up in Atlanta, so it's kind of disconcerting not to know some things. And especially like, you know, from the land of John Lewis, but he wasn't my, my person in the house. So we didn't talk a lot about it. I had a bunch of idiotic people who just don't know what they're talking about because that's most of Georgia's red line and, and um, redistricting deals. You see it a lot. But my point being into that, Cole helps you build the world in which the characters are in, but also helps you see the world that maybe you didn't see otherwise. And I'm forever grateful for that. And that's why I continue to read her. And in April, I'm going to be reading another one. It's another Reluctant Royals. It is what I can never remember the name of. Once Ghosted, Twice Shy. And the reason I can't ever remember it is nothing personal. It's just I can't remember the name because for whatever reason, my brain just goes with ghost. And so I'm like, I, I don't remember. the other Anyway, and that's going to be with Carrie, who was in the um, Portia episode. So I want to discuss things and I want to to see what you guys think like I had a poll up for about five days on Twitter and I asked what you rated it and I did like one to two three four five and it got a one like one person answered and they only gave it a one star and I don't know why which is why I went to Goodreads and I went to Amazon I was trying to get some some feedback on what people were saying and a lot of the stuff was kind of not related to the book at all and a lot of it felt a little bit like um nice white lady syndrome which is you know like uh couch racism and so i i just i didn't see a reason why to give it a low grade from what i could read of the reviews and like it's got very high reviews on amazon on goodreads it's got a 4.14 so i went to the lower ones and like the ones i could see the most complaints about were sometimes like it felt rushed because of the novella size um, the time jump, like for instance, the 13 years, I guess seemed felt a little bit off to people, but I was grateful for it because I think it's important to see where couples land sometimes. But I want to know, you know, like to you, the listeners, like well, what do you think about it if you've read it? Or what do you think about historical romance that is not set in the Regency, not set in the Victorian, not set in Edwardian, blah, 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 like stuff that's more current to what we know and what we experience and what we see. I, I would really like to know that. Um, I'm going to end the episode here. I'm going to say that I'm going to give this a huge, huge read. Again, it's 99 cents on Amazon, so it's not a huge hit to the budget. And I think it's worth it to see the world in which we're generations are from, but still facing the effects of. As things like the Voting Rights Act and, you know, the Equality Acts and everything are kind of like getting dismantled or not moving beyond it should. And so it's a whole thing. Okay. Also, coming up, we have Say No to the Duke will be the next episode and it will drop about mid-March. It features Lisa Cucci from Ladies of Leisure. And it's my first guest that is not Sven, which... I hope you guys will enjoy that. Like I said, it'll be here in a couple weeks. And the big news is, is I'm getting married on March 7th. So 7th and 8th, I'm unavailable for most things because I'm getting married early on the 7th at the local courthouse, as is the German tradition. 
and we're doing what we need to do there. So I can't wait. If you follow me on Twitter, I'll put pictures up there of me and my dress, maybe, if I'm thinking about it. I will definitely put Sven in his suit because the man is hot in it. I, we tried it on today, so I know it works really well. And today's the 28th, by the way, of February. So, I hope you guys enjoy the intervening weeks. I hope you have fun. If you want to follow the podcast, it's Damsel's Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Of those, I'm more frequently on Twitter. If you'd like to email me, it's damselspodcast at gmail.com. You can get to the Patreon. That is at patreon.com slash damselspodcast. I tried to make it as simple as I could for you guys. And if you're getting this off the feed, deconstructing-damsels.pinecast.co. And if you are looking at me through anything else, let me know. If you guys want to send me an email and let me know where you're listening from, that'd be great. Because Chartable is not great about telling that, neither is my host. I'm kind of curious about where the readers are coming from and where the writers and the reviewers and the listeners and all that kind of stuff are coming from because I'm really interested in this part of it. I like to track that kind of stuff because I like to know where I should be focusing on other stuff. Uh, Later in the spring, I'm going to try and read at least one or two romance class books. So I'm going to go over those probably around May, early May. All right. Thanks, guys. I really hope you enjoyed this. I know it's a bit long. Sorry. But it was a really important book. And it kind of related to modern day. And you can't really ignore that. See ya. Bye. (laughs)